We continue in a series from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. And the burden of my heart and my hope and prayer for the series is that it helps to prepare us, spiritually prepare us, for a time of visioning and dreaming as a church, conversations that will begin at some point next month. Uh, We have arrived, as you can imagine and tell from the anthem that the choir has just sung, at that wonderful part of the passage where Paul speaks of our oneness in Christ. And as Rachel led us through our future with our children, the reminder that we are family in Jesus. So let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 today. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, the Super Bowl is two weeks away. Did you know that? And if you are like most Americans, chances are, if you watch the game, you will be accompanied at some point during the watching of the game by tortilla chips and salsa. Anybody bring chips to the Super Bowl party? Salsa as well. Which leads me and provokes within me an extremely important question. In my opinion, in my experience, there are two ways of eating chips and salsa. Which way do you eat them? Do you pour the chips into a bowl and then pick one chip at a time from the bowl and dip it in salsa and eat it? Or do you take your chips directly out of the bag and dip and eat? I'm a bag person. All right? Right hand gripping the bag, left hand reaching in one at a time, or if I'm not dipping in salsa, it's a handful at a time. And when you eat chips in this particular way, at least in my experience, there is something that I do that I would not have done if I was simply pouring them into a bowl. No offense to anybody who chooses to pour them into a bowl first. When I have the bag in one hand and I'm reaching in to pull a chip out, I tend to read the writing on the bag. I read the ingredients and usually wish that I hadn't. But what I'm really interested in, two things. One, where the chips are made. I don't know why I'm interested in that, but I look for that. And then I'm very interested in what the manufacturers of the product believe about their product. How do they describe the product that I am eating? A while back, I was eating chips and salsa. Probably wasn't the Super Bowl. I was probably all by myself. But I had the bag in my hand, and I was, I was reading the words on the bag, and I was surprised to see in big, bold letters the phrase, Nothing brings people together like this brand of tortilla chips. And I just thought it was a good chip. 
how was I to know that in my hands were the key to community? The path to togetherness. The secret of quantania, the biblical word for fellowship. So next time we share the Lord's Supper, we're going to have this brand of tortilla chips for the bread. And we will experience a unity that we have never experienced before in the annals of Fifth Avenue Baptist Church. So what the chip makers were doing, the secret of any modern advertising, is to associate their product with a deep need. A chip is a chip is a chip. It's either good or better or not good, but you can't really advertise by saying, hey, it's a great chip. You may or may not need a chip, but we all need to belong. We need something or someone to bring us together. And the good news of the gospel is that nothing, no one, brings us together like Jesus. Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, and by the power of the Holy Spirit living and moving among us as we give our hearts to Jesus and as we follow him, makes us one. Let's look at that phrase that's printed on our order of service, on our worship guide at the very front. So we, let's look at we first. So we focus on all of us not just me as the individual. When I, when you as an individual, when we as individuals follow Christ, we become a part of the we here. The next phrase, we who are many. There are many of us who are Christ followers in the world. Not just here at Fifth Avenue, but all around Huntington, all around West Virginia, all around the world. We are many as the followers of Christ. Jesus did not die. God did not send his only son into the world for a few of us, but for all of us. And all who call on the name of Jesus. Apart from, as a part of every denomination and every tradition, we are many. And we who are many are not just limited to those of us who are alive right now. We are family with all who have followed Christ in the last 2,000 years and all who will follow Him in the years to come. We are one body. Paul draws upon the image of the body here to describe the family of faith known as the church. Our body has many members. We have fingers, we have eyes, we have ears, we have legs, we have arms, each with a different function as verse 4 says and next week we'll look at that part of the image a little bit more in depth in light of verses 6 through 8 which speaks of spiritual gifts as a part of the one body each of us are different and we have a different function Uh, but the part of the image that we'll focus on this morning is that though each member of the body has a different function it is still a part of the same body One body. We who are different are part of the one body known as the church of Jesus Christ, past, present, and future. And we at Fifth Avenue are just one embodiment of the one body. And then, of course, the most important part of this phrase. We who are many are one body in 
Christ. In Christ. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who brings us into the body. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who makes us one, who establishes us as family. Our unity comes through Christ and Christ alone. And here's where I want to focus and really dig deep for us as a congregation. I think this is central to the message of verses 4 and 5. And that is the truth that we do not make ourselves one. There is no way that we can in our own strength get along well enough to be one. We are not committed enough and even if we were we would be unable to make ourselves one. Our love for each other, our love for our church, our love for our community, that does not make us one. Our ability to organize ourselves and to love ourselves in such a way that things flow smoothly, that does not make us one. Our ability to agree to disagree does not make us one. We are not an affinity group or a particular group within the community or an interest group, although at times that may characterize who we are. What makes us family, what makes us one, is Jesus and Jesus alone, the Father working through Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, who we are as a family of believers at Fifth Avenue Baptist, our unity, our oneness is not something for us to achieve. It is something that we receive as the gift of God in Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Let me read that again. Christian community is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So here the good news. We are members of one another, held together and made family in the strongest bond possible, the love of Jesus, who makes us one body. Here the good news, however divided the church has been throughout history and is now, and however, it har- however hard it is to live in unity in the present, our unity in Christ is already established. And now hear the great privilege and challenge and responsibility. We are called, this isn't an option, we are called to participate through the Spirit in the reality already created by God in Christ. I don't think there would be much disagreement of the statement that we as our church and at any church in the world don't always do a good job of living out the reality that we are one in Christ. And yet the reality remains, and our calling and our challenge is to figure out ways through the Spirit to participate in something that God has already established. And I believe that as we prepare to dream and to vision and to plan, where we sense God leading us in the future, one of the aspects of that preparation is a willingness and a commitment to sinfully and imperfectly, because we are sinful, imperfect creatures, 
to commit as best we can as individuals and as a congregation in the power of the Holy Spirit to participate in the reality that we are already one family united in Jesus. So, three practices, three ideas that come to my mind that how we might participate in this reality of us being one in Christ, sisters and brothers with one another. First, goes to what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about the responsibility of each of us as individuals to grow in Christ for the sake of others, not just for our own sake. When we grow spiritually, when we are seeking to become like Jesus, when we are walking closely with God, when the character of Christ is being formed in us, as individuals, everybody wins. We win as individuals because we are experiencing life that is abundant. Our families and those that are around us win because we exude and exhibit more of the love of Jesus Christ. Our neighbors, those we work with, those we go to school with, our community, our church is blessed and wins because we as individuals are doing our part in seeking to be like Jesus. And applying this idea to this week's message, when each of us are seeking to grow closer to Christ and taking responsibility for our own spiritual growth, each of us must take that responsibility. No one can make you grow spiritually. You have to do it. We do it together. We need help. But but each of us have to take up that responsibility. And when we do that, we are better able as a body to participate in the oneness that has already been established through Jesus Christ. And when that happens for us as a church, when each of us are growing spiritually and thus we are contributing to the participation of the reality that Christ has made us one, I have a feeling, I believe, I think, it seems to me not a stretch to believe that those around us will notice that unity. And they will be drawn to Christ and the kingdom of God will be furthered in our community, it all beginning when each of us take that responsibility to grow spiritually. So, it seems to me one of the first practices that we need to engage in, if we want to participate in the unity that God has already established among us, is for each of us as individuals to take that responsibility to seek to grow and become more like Jesus. A second practice that I believe will help us to participate in the reality of our family that has already been established, is to learn how to listen to one another. To learn how to listen well to one another. We can begin by making sure that we are hearing the words that we are sharing with one another, but there's more to it than that. There is a listening to the words that someone else is saying, And then there is a deep listening where we are listening to the heart and soul of the person that is sharing with us. Don't raise your hand if this gets too close to home here. A husband and wife were sitting around the breakfast table. The husband was reading the paper. His wife sharing different things on her heart, things that she's struggling with, things going on, and he continues to nod and read the paper and She says to him, you haven't heard a word that I've said. And he then repeats back verbatim everything that she had said. 
But do you think he was really listening to her? No. He heard the words, but he didn't hear the heart and the depth and the soul that gave those words their true meaning. If we want to participate in the reality that Jesus has already established among us, that we are sisters and brothers in Christ, then we, we need to make sure that we hear the words, and it's not a bad thing to be able to speak them back to the person that has shared. But there is also a deeper listening to where we hear the feeling and the emotion and the pain or the joy or the hope or the sorrow behind those words, and we listen in such a way that the person knows that they have been heard and they have been valued. And so in any setting, in every setting, in our life as a church together, obviously this applies to our families as well, but we're talking about the church right now. In every setting, when we listen with depth, when we listen to the feeling and the emotion and the spirit, when we listen to the soul of our sisters and brothers, we begin to experience and participate in the reality that we truly are sisters and brothers. We are one in Christ. And then a third practice that I believe can help us enter into this reality of who we are in Jesus as a church is to let each other help us. No show of hands here, but my guess is there's a high percentage of people that would prefer to help than to be helped. We are more comfortable, most of us, more comfortable giving help then receiving help. Well, first of all, when we don't receive help well, we are not giving the other person the opportunity to be blessed by serving. Right? Because one of the great gifts, blessings in life is the servant of the person. And if you won't allow someone to serve you and help you, then you're denying them the blessing that they receive when they help. But even on a deeper level, when we are unable or unwilling or uncomfortable to receive the help of others, we are, without realizing it, promoting a belief that we can make it on our own. And denying, not intentionally, without realizing it, we're denying the truth that God has put us into a body together so that we can be one. And we can learn to rely upon each other and lean upon each other and bless and be blessed by each other. And if we want to participate fully in the reality that Jesus has already established that we are family at Fifth, Fifth Avenue Baptist Church, then we're going to need to both give and receive each other's help. So our son Luke has been on a Rocky Balboa kick for the last week. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Rocky movies, any, any Rocky movie fans here, you know, be, be brave. Okay. Uh, 40th anniversary last year of Rocky One, just to let you know. It's a movie about an underdog, rough and tough Philadelphia boxer who overcomes all kinds of obstacles to be the champion. And there have been 37 installments of the movie series, excuse me, not 37, 
I think they're up to seven now installments of the movie series. And, and I have to confess that in Rocky 1, at the end of the movie, when Rocky goes the distance with the challenger Apollo Creed and everybody's all around him and all he cares about is seeing his girlfriend, Adrian, who's soon to be his wife, and he's yelling out, Adrian, Adrian! And Adrian's yelling out, Rocky, Rocky! And they're saying, I love you, I love you. I cry every time. I, I, can't, I, I, can't, I can't help it. it. It just, I just get choked up. Got choked. I, I, I choke up at the end of every Rocky movie, except Rocky Five and maybe Rocky Four. But anyway, um, the signature scene, or one of many signature scenes in the first movie, and then repeated throughout the series, is when Rocky is training for the fight, and he's running all by himself, and he runs through the streets of Philadelphia, and then he gets to the Philadelphia Art Museum, which has a hundred or so steps in front of it. And he runs up those steps as fast as he can. And he's all by himself. And he is huffing and he is puffing and he is strong. And he gets to the top of the stairs and he jumps with his hands raised. And he's jumping all around and the theme music is playing and playing and playing. And it's a powerful moment. But then we get to Rocky 7. came out last year. And Rocky is training the son of the fighter that he fought all of those times in the first couple of movies, Apollo Creed. He's training this younger boxer, and it's a wonderful story, and I won't get into the rest of the story, but at the very end of the movie, Rocky and Apollo Creed's son are at the steps of the Philadelphia Art Museum. And Rocky has cancer, and he is an older man. And he can't walk up the steps alone. And so Apollo Creed's son helps him walk up the step, step by step by step. And Rocky, the most stubborn individual alive, lets him do it and allows this younger man to carry him up the way. And it seems to me that if we want to live into the promise that we are a family in Christ, that we are members one of another, and that Jesus has made us one, we will play both roles in that scene. We will be the person who helps the other person walk up the steps. And we will also be the person who allows someone else to help us along the way. Sisters and brothers, hear the good news once more. Through Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection, and our participation in His life through faith and baptism, we're not only baptized in water and baptized into the life of Jesus, we're baptized into each other's lives as a part of the church. We are sisters and brothers. And though we cannot and will never in this life be able to fully live out all the implications of that oneness, we can participate in it. And be blessed and be a blessing to the world through that participation. So let us, 
each of us as individuals, take very seriously our own call to grow in Christ, not just for ourselves, but for others and for our church. And may we, by the Spirit, grow in our ability to listen to one another on a deep soul level. And may we give and receive help to and from each other that we may experience and give witness to our oneness and that the purposes of God may be furthered. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.